Well, I will mention to you about, uh, in this prayer, about uh, I preached last Christmas Eve, and uh, I thought personally it was the last time I'd ever preach again in public, but uh, the surgeon had told me I would probably lose my voice, and many of you know I did. It was down to a whisper. But through uh, marbles of medicine and uh, expensive injections, I got my voice back to what you hear now anyway. It's only temporary. <laughs> Thank you so much for your prayers. It's only temporary, but I've been asking people to make what was temporary permanent. But there is still one more surgery if this doesn't work. But anyway, up till now it is. Thank you so much for allowing me to preach one more time. Uh, My son Raleigh and I, he was going to be here this morning, but he had to go home. Raleigh and I in Phoenix, Arizona, climbed a mountain near Phoenix, And on the way up, it started raining, and boy, it rained like you haven't seen in Phoenix for a long time, and the lightning came, and the thunder rolled, and boy, we didn't know what to do, and I said, son, we're halfway up, let's go to the top. If the lightning hits us, we'll just go to be with Jesus quicker. (laughs) We got to the top, and then we started down, and we couldn't get down because of the huge gullies of water through which we had to pass. It was a mess. We finally got down to kind of level ground, and when we got down there, from the the top of the mountain, we noticed that Phoenix was a solid lake. This was just before we went back to Brazil one of our other times. And uh, anyway, that was a mountain. Today we're going to talk about Caleb who said, give me this mountain. You probably don't want that mountain we climb, but there's another mountain you may want to climb, and that's what we're going to talk about today. I've always prefaced my, my preaching on Old Testament verses with 1 Corinthians 10:11, which is so Im- important for us to know. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written by our admonition, for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And another one's in Romans 15:4, which says, "Whatever things were written before were written for our learning." that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scripture, might have hope. And I gave you a little introduction of Caleb in our, in our outline in the bulletin insert today. The, the context of this section of Caleb uh, in the book of Joshua is on the division of, the, the Can, of, for, of Canaan among the tribes of, of Israel. And it's interesting, in, in, uh, in, chapter, in chapter 14 and verse 2, you notice... Their inheritance was by lot, L-O-T. And you say, what is that? Well, that's the way they made decisions in those days. And in fact, here's how they did it in this case. They would have a great big jar, or we would call it an urn, I guess, in those days. And these two urns, one would sit here, one would sit here. This would have all the names of the tribes of Israel on it, inside there on clay tablets or however they did it. And this urn would have the divisions and the geographical markings of the possession which they were going to inherit. So they would pull out one, hmm, Judah. And then, oh, you get this part. That's how they did it, just so you'll know. But despite all that, someone say, well, it sounds like there's a lot of luck involved in that. Don't you believe it? Here's what Proverbs 16 and verse 33 says. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. 
The Lord allowed every bit of it. So that's the way it was done. There are a lot of things about Caleb that you may not uh, know, and I'm not real interested in telling you all the details, but, uh, and some might be offended when I tell you what most of the Bible teachers say his name really meant. His name really meant dog, D-O-G, and someone was horrified by that. But, you know, I love what one of the, one of the, the pastors said. Perhaps, perhaps Caleb's father had a good dog and hoped his son would have similar traits in his own life. <laughs> and maybe the word dog in the Old Testament wasn't as bad as it was in the New. How do we know? Anyway, that's what his name meant. I think his name really meant, I think it really meant wholehearted, because we're going to see that related to him several times here. It's amazing. There are four words that take us through Caleb's experience in chapter 14. Very simply, they are these. Number one, Caleb's commitment. That's in verses 6 to 9. Just look at that. Then... The children of of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and the Kenizzite said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, And I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. So Caleb was committed. This is his commitment. It starts in verse 6 with the word of God. It talks about the word. It says this is the word. That's so important. Commitment should always be based on God's word. What comes from the mouth of the Lord to us for direction. Uh, It was evidenced by obedience to the word. Caleb obeyed what he heard. it, was, it produced godly convictions in verse 7 and 8. The ones I read, you notice it says, to Caleb, uh, to, to, to Caleb God was greater than the biggest problem. He says in, in verse uh, 7, he talked about the word, in my heart. He knew all about this mountain. He knew all the trouble with the mountain. He knew what was involved in getting the mountain. But he was... He was he, he, he said, I'm going to trust God for this problem in a very special way. And in other words, this commitment, the, the spies, you know, who went with him in, Ch- in Numbers chapter 14, I believe it is, the, the spies, they, um, they magnified the problem and thus minimized God. And sometimes we do the same thing. We see a problem and we maximize that and minimize God. Caleb did exactly the opposite. He's to be commended. Caleb magnified God and thus minimized the problem. And I wonder if you and I may do the same in certain situations. Never let the problems of life be more important than God because he can help you through them no matter what they are. Well, his commitment resulted in in the rich blessings, verse 9, 
It says it shall be your inheritance because he wholly followed the Lord. I like that phrase, wholly followed the Lord. Uh, let's just talk about that for a moment. In verse 8 it says, uh, if you read it, it says, Caleb knew that he, Caleb, followed the Lord. It says that in verse nine, uh, verse 8, I'm, excuse me. In verse 9, Moses said that he was committed because it says he, he, was, he wholly followed the Lord. Uh, Joshua knew that because over in verse 14 of our text, Joshua knew that he wholly followed the Lord. And if you go back into Numbers chapter 14, 24, God said it in a little different way, but here's what he said. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and he has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. So four testimonies to the fact that Caleb wholly followed the Lord. Wouldn't it be marvelous if someone could say to us, boy, they wholly follow the Lord. It's something all of us in this auditorium should be doing, dear friends. We should be wholly following the Lord, each one of us. Can you say of yourself that you are committed? If you are, dear friend, that means God has all of you there is to have. That sounds complicated, but it's not. Just God has all of you that there is to have. Psalm 37.5, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. What a great verse. Half-hearted Christians are faint-hearted Christians, someone said. I do believe it. D.L. Moody, you ever heard of D.L. Moody? D.L. Moody was saved at the age of 19. The, 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 uh, he heard an evangelist by the name of Henry Varley, V-A-R-L-Y, say this, the world has yet to see what God can do in and through and with and for a man wholly committed to him. That's what we're talking about, Caleb. D.L. Moody, on that occasion, said, by God's grace, I will be that man. He, he was... He was an uncultured man, if you've read about him. He could already speak the king's English or the American English or any other kind. He was, he was uncultured. He was uneducated. He was, un, he was an untrained. He was a shoes salesman. That's what he did. But God used him. You know what to do? He moved two continents for God in his lifetime preaching Jesus. Why? Because he was completely committed to the Lord. What a, what a role model for us. Caleb never let things get him down. And by the providence of God, he was adopted into the tribe of Judah. Interesting, isn't it? He was committed to God wholly. Caleb refused to be victimized by his, by his past. And he, he, he was faithful, courageous, and strong for the future. What a man of God. What a, an example for us. I love what Reverend Robert Ard, who was the president of the Black Leadership Council, explains the difference between involvement and commitment, because our first point is commitment, his commitment. Okay, Mr. Pastor Ard said, the, the, the difference between involvement and commitment, when you look at a plate of ham and eggs, you know the chicken was involved, but the pig was committed.
conjure up a visual image in your mind? The pig going to slaughter and the, and the, and the chicken cackling away back to her pen. Are you involved? Are you committed? Which one are you? Involved or committed? A Christian without commitment is like a promise made with your fingers crossed. Terrible. Let's look at another point in Caleb's life that we are reminded of as we read this passage. Besides the commitment, let's look at his confidence in verses 10 to 12. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, here I am this day, 85 years old. As, As yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me, just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain. There's the phrase. Give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day, for you heard in that day how how the Anakim were there and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as, as the Lord said. So this is his confidence His confidence was in God who gave him his life. Verse 10, he said, the Lord kept me alive. Did you do the math on that? Uh, 38 years, and you add 40 to it, and you add seven more, and you get 85. So all the mathematics works out fine in those verses. That's how old he was when he wrote this. And um, his, his confidence was in God who gave him his strength. And, um, I wonder what your secret was, Caleb, 85 years old, and could still go to battle, quite a guy. Um, Deuteronomy 33:25, as our day, so shall our strength be. How many of us have hooked onto that verse many times in days of weakness? God is our strength. I will love you, O Lord, my strength, Psalm 18:1. Yes, he is our strength. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 27, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Psalm 45, verse 1. His his confidence was in God who will give him victory, as we read in verse 12. Lord, you promised this to me. Back in verse 9, with your help I can drive out the giants. What a, what a goal, what a testimony, what a wonderful thing. The more we depend on God, the more dependable we find God is in our life. If you test him, you will find it so true. Test him on the things that you find so difficult in life, and you will notice soon that the more we depend on him, the more dependable we find him to be for us. There's another characteristic in Caleb's life besides the commitment and the confidence. I find it starting in verse 12. Again, we've already read that. Caleb's courage. He had courage to take the mountain. Did you notice that he requested the same section of land 
that had struck fear into the hearts of the ten spies with whom he went back in Numbers to spy out the land. The very place they said, don't dare go there, that's the one he wanted. So he, re- he requested the same section of land that, they had, that had struck fear into the hearts of the other ten spies who disbelieved God and didn't believe that they should go in and take that land. Reminds me of Noah. You remember Noah built the ark? Noah was a pretty brave man to sail in a wooden boat with two termites. (laughs) His courage gave him strength to do the job. He said there were giants in the land, verse 12. The cities were great and fortified, verse 12. Wow. Caleb was ready to take on new conflicts. Made no difference. His strength, even in old age, was encouraging. He felt as strong at 85 as he did at 40. Caleb, what's your secret? But it was the Lord's word that kept coming back to him as he claimed this mountain, as we read back there in verse 9. A wonderful, wonderful word from the Lord. When God gives the green light, it gives us great courage to continue. Psalm 71, 16, I will go in the strength of the Lord. Psalm 60, verse 12, through God we will do valiantly, for it is he who shall tread down our enemies. Boy, what a, what a courage. We had a dear friend in, Virginia, in, in Brazil, her name was Virginia Martin. She'd been there many years, and we admired her so much. She went to a conference in Brazil, and it was a huge conference, uh, a Christian conference, and there was a gentleman down in the front of the auditorium, a white-haired gentleman uh, that was elderly, obviously, and she went up and started talking to him, and she said, asked him about him, well, and talked about his children, and they were missionaries in Brazil, and where are they now? Well, they're all retired. They were missionaries in Brazil, but they're, they're retired. Of course, he's sitting there. It's his kids that are retired. He's still here. Well, she said, what in the world are you going to do? Well, when the conference is over, I'm going to go over to the island of Niteroi, where prisoners are kept. What are you going to do over there? I'm going to go house to house and tell people about Jesus. Well, she said, may I ask how old you are? He said, yeah, I'm 100 Praise the Lord, still telling people about Jesus. You can do that. I can do that. We should do that, dear people. Just keep on telling people about Jesus. And there's another point about Caleb in this, our, our fourth, our fourth word, word after courage, Caleb's conquest. We find that in verses 13 and, uh, and 15. And I didn't read those. But uh, we could do that, verses 13 to 15. And Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. Hebron, therefore, became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, uh, the, the Kenizzite, this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, God of Israel. And the name of Hebron uh, formerly was uh, Kirjah Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim, uh, then the, the land had rest from war. See, these guys were giants. And Caleb knew that, but he chose the mountain 
Because he said, God will help me take care of the giants so I can have the land. He wanted it for his inheritance. So that's what he did. I guess he could say, what if there, uh, he, would, he, would, he would not, uh, I think he reasoned this way. God would not have kept me alive promising a reward for my faith only to give him over to the Anakim, these giants. So what if there were giants? They were on this land and he would drive them out by the strength of God. See, the word Hebron means fellowship, which is a beautiful thing. Hebron means fellowship. Uh, It was quite a place in biblical history. Abraham lived here when he first came from Haran. He built an altar there. When he came out of there, uh, uh, he built an altar of sacrifice. God communicated most of the covenant relationship with Abraham at this place, uh, the promise of the land and the seed and the Messiah. Uh, Abraham and Sarah lived there. Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Leah uh, were buried there. So this is quite a place. Abram means fellowship. Well... Fellowship comes when one has conquered Hebron. He didn't have, he didn't have fellowship because that was the name of the mountain. That's what it meant until he had it conquered. So I wonder what your mountain is today, my friend. Um, do you have a mountain that you want to conquer? Do you have a problem in life or some victorious goal that you have in life that you want that would be your mountain today? And you could say, like Caleb did, give me this mountain. I want that mountain. I want this to happen in my life. I want victory in this. I want, I want to be honoring to the Lord in this. Just think about what your mountain might be today as you think of these interesting things. Well, anyway, now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place, 2 Corinthians 2.14. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, Romans 8.37. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith, 1 John 5.4. And Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That brings me to the conclusion. Do you have any mountains that need climbing today in your life, my friend? Just think about it. Is there a mountain in your life that you need to climb today and need to have victory over? I don't know what it is. Only God knows what you are thinking about at this moment. You have any, any giants that are standing in your way as you face life today, as you climb this mountain? Claim God's promises for victory today and start at the mountain and he will help you get to the top and win the victory. A friend told this story. It's really something. Bear with me as I read it. It's pretty special. Early in my ministry, I met a man named Worrell. He had been stricken with rheumatoid arthritis at age 15, and when I met him 30 years later, he was totally paralyzed except for one finger. He could barely speak and was totally blind, but he had, a str- he had a string tied to that one mobile finger that could turn on a recorder. Guess what he did? 
He could only move that finger in his entire, that's the only muscle he could move in in his entire body. Well, I guess except his tongue. He wrote for national magazines, authored books, led a happy and influential life from his bed. This was possible because after initial prayers brought no healing, he accepted his lot graciously and said, Well, Lord, if this is the size plot in life you, we, uh, you've staked out for me, Let's you and me together show the world what we can grow on it. Down the path of humble acceptance, Worrell achieved a happier and more useful life within the limitations of very restricted circumstances than most people ever will, imag- will manage with excellent and physical health. Yep, what a victory. Guidance means I can count on God. Commitment means God can count on me. Can God count on you? You can count on him. Like Caleb, we must be thankful. We must be faithful to God at the end of our lives as we were at the start. Don't don't rest on your past accomplishments or reputations. Caleb was a man of conviction. Henry Ford had the conviction that millions of cars could solve our transportation problems. He he created the first assembly line for production, and the rest is history. We all know that. Samuel Morris had the conviction that electricity would carry a message over a wire in spite of being mocked and scorned. He held to his convictions, erecting a wire between a hotel in Baltimore and Washington, D.C. A United States senator heard the first words, Behold what God hath wrought, came over that wire. It is amazing what the Lord can do and will do with a man or woman of God with conviction. I am only one, but I am one. I can't do everything, but I can do something. And what can I do? I ought to do. And what I ought to do by the grace of God, I shall do. What is your mountain, my friend? If you got it, you think it's in, insurmountable? You can't get to the top of it? Don't you ever believe it? God will help you in the victory that you need today, whatever that may be. God wants to help you. You may be here without Jesus, and without him you are going into a Christless eternity, not heaven. Why don't you give your life to him today? He died for you on the cross of Calvary, paid your debt, your, your debt of sin, and when you trust him as your Savior, he will cleanse your life, forgive your sin, and prepare you for heaven. Oh, how people need to hear this story. And you may have another mountain that I haven't even mentioned, but oh, how God wants to help you to conquer that mountain And you see, the mountain means fellowship. So there are many of you today here who don't have that real deep and wonderful and sweet, sweet fellowship because you haven't conquered the mountain in your life as yet. Let God do it. He will work in mighty ways to give you victory.